glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand with me if you would please. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bare record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for, here's why we're blessed, for the time is at hand. While you're standing, Revelation 22.10 says, And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Thank you. you may be seated. Uh, this words, these words we have in English as at hand come from one Greek word, and it means this, to make near, to approach, uh, to be at hand, or to come near, uh, to draw nigh. So it's the idea, it's near. It's, it's this, these things are, are close, and when they come, they're going to come shortly to pass, meaning the events in the book of Revelation are not drawn out over an extended period of time when you read and study what the Word of God has to say, the tribulation period is a seven-year period of time. Uh, I believe that comes out to 1,260 days, if you would, on a 30-day calendar. That's uh, that's seven years. And so uh, 2520, I think, is the seven years. 1,260 is half of that. point is, be a seven-year period of time, we would refer to that uh, we, uh, as Daniel's 70th week is referred to in the book of Daniel. Nonetheless, those things are going to shortly come to pass, and the time he's going to write about is at hand, meaning it's near and approaching. If you're like me and you have a logical mind, one of the first things you're going to think is, okay, it's at hand, but that was written a couple thousand years ago. How many of you would say, you know, something's just about to happen. It, it should happen by the year 4022. How many of you would feel like that is near? Not just from our natural way of thinking. So here's what I love about the Bible. The Holy Spirit, because he's God, knows how we think. And he knows how we reason things. And I believe he obviously, I know he knows, how Satan would like to deceive us or confuse us. God is never the author of confusion. So if we're confused on these issues, it's either coming from between our ears or it's coming from somewhere else or out of our heart. But the fact of the matter is God doesn't want to confuse us. So if you're sitting here thinking, wow, a couple thousand years have gone by, and if it is at hand, did I miss something? How many of you know there are deceivers that use this very thought process to try to deceive us? They'll go back and say, everything that Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24 was fulfilled by A.D. 70, and we can get into some things that people teach falsely and try to get us confused. Or, for instance, say, when the Thessalonians were living in a time of persecution, this is the, this is the day of the Lord. This is the judgment and the wrath of God. So Satan wants to confuse us, but here's the thing. Second Peter chapter 3 helps us to understand that in the last days there will be scoffers who would come saying, where is, where is the promise of his coming? Uh, there in Second Peter chapter 3. Let me go ahead and read this so I don't botch it up uh, quoting it. Second Peter chapter 3. Uh, the Apostle Peter says this in verse 3, knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished, so on and so forth. Verse 8, But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. Now, some want to 
use that as an algebraic calculation and say every time you read about a day then, that's a thousand years. That's not fair to the Bible. When the Bible says God created the heaven and the earth in six days and rested the seventh, it doesn't mean he created in 6,000 years and rested for, for a thousand. Here's how we know that. This is rocket science deep. So I, I just want to help us identify some errors. When somebody says the, the one day for a thousand years equation, be careful. The Bible is saying don't get all distraught over a couple thousand years. That's nothing to God. In God's time frame, what's a thousand years? It's as a day. It's not telling you every time in prophecy that you find a day, it equals a thousand years. How many of us understand that? In Genesis, when God says that God created the world in six little days, the greatest indicator that's the truth is said the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, you know what that means? That's a 24-hour period of time. And so there are those who would take 2 Peter 3, verse 8, and say, see, we were created over a 6,000-year period of time. We have to be careful with our Bibles and just read what it says and let it interpret itself. That's what I'm trying to say. When we come to Revelation 1, and the Bible is telling us the time is at hand, and your logical mind says, yeah, but he said that 2,000 years ago. Well, it was a couple days ago in God's economy. And that's exactly the context we're given, 2 Peter 3, 8 in. So when we hear the time is at hand, here's what the devil would do. Uh, Our adversary who wants us to be deceived. Wow, that was 2,000 years ago. It hasn't happened yet. You probably misunderstood something and shouldn't count on him coming back. Here's what the Lord would say. If it was at hand 2,000 years ago, guess what it is today? It is even that much closer. And by the way, that's what the Bible says. For now is our salvation nearer than when we... Believed, And so then the proper way to look at that is if 2,000 years ago this was written and it was at hand, that doesn't mean immediate, it means imminent, meaning it can come at any moment. And that was true then and it's true now. And if it was true then, it's even closer now. And with that in our mind, with the concept of time frame, by the way, the book of Revelation makes a, it has almost as many numbers in it as the book of numbers does. Throughout the book, there's numbers and numbers and numbers and, uh, and while we have to be careful with putting too great an emphasis on numbers, we must also pay attention. God uses numbers for a reason. This is a book that deals with time. There's a series of events. God is a God of order. Just like he created the world in order, he's going to end it in order. God has an order to things, and he's going to follow the order he has given us. So what does this mean to us, though? If you're here tonight and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're trusting him as your Savior, we're anticipating his return Verse 3 says, there is a special blessing to the person that readeth. But God goes to great lengths to say, I don't want you just to read it. We dealt with this last Thursday night. It's not as though this is a superstitious statement. Say, ooh, you want a special blessing? Go read the book of Revelation. No, I said, he, him that readeth. So there, there's a blessing. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. That is the process you find outlined In Matthew chapter 13, verse 23, they that hear the word and understand the word and keep it, and it bears root in the heart. You know what you and I ought to do? Read the book of Revelation and mull it over and chew on it and meditate on it and compare it with the rest of the Bible and and do with it what we do with every other portion of Scripture. Read it, hear it, keep it. And the hearing of it we know, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It is the ear that has faith that hears. Say, so what is the most important component when approaching the book of Revelation to understanding it? Faith. The, the most important component to the entire Bible is we approach it saying, I believe it. Uh, I read one, one writer writing about the book of Revelation. He said, the things in Revelation are not so hard to understand as they are hard to believe. 
Now, it can sound wrong, but you think about it. How many of you have ever seen blood running to the depth of a horse's bridle? Nor would I want to, but that's what it says. So one of the reasons that many people love to allegorize parts of Revelation that God did not give as allegory is these are things that are hard to grasp. It's hard to grasp a third of ocean life dying. It's hard to grasp the stars falling out of the heavens. It's hard to grasp fire and brimstone, but it's what he says. And so it's important that we approach this book reading it, hearing it, which means believing it and keeping it. Then the blessing is, is, is promised to the servant of Christ who he reads it, hears it, and keeps it. Why? Well, because what's going to be here is preparing us for the time we're living in. The time is at hand. Now, again, that was applicable when it was written 2,000 years ago or approximately that long ago, and it's applicable today. Because of what is indicated here, it's telling us the period of time we're living in and there is some application to us. So I want to go through a number of verses of Scripture that reference this kind of language where it's talking about the time in Luke 21, it says it this way. Jesus is speaking, and there are, don't misunderstand, there, there are contexts to each one of these, and we'll try to address that. But Luke 21, 30 and 31, he is speaking, he says, when they now shoot forth, see, and he's speaking of Israel here. So there's some prophecies given to the Jewish people in Luke 21, but he's still using the same principle of, you need to be able to discern the time so you know how to think and how to prepare for the Lord's return. When they sh now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So you see a tree and the buds shoot forth, you know, hey, summer's coming, he says, verse 31 of Luke 21. So likewise ye, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand, the kingdom of God being referenced there is the establishment of God's kingdom on earth that is prophesied here, the establishment of Christ's kingdom on earth. And he said, look, and especially to the Jewish people, there are some things you need to be looking for that when you see, you know that the kingdom is nigh at hand. And so that's the concept of, of discerning the time in which we live. You'll note in Acts chapter 1, I didn't write this down, I'm not going to turn there. I think it's verse 10 or 11, the disciples asked, is, will you now establish the Jewish kingdom basically? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and seasons, meaning that is not your concern right now. It can sound contradictory. What he's saying is, though, you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost to come, has come upon you. Don't you worry about when I'm going to establish it. Just be ready for it when it comes. You be prepared when it comes. And so uh, we are told tonight that the, Lord, the Lord's coming. Uh, the time is at hand. The things he's about to outline are hand. So let's consider a few things that this means, and then we're going to give you Scripture we're not pulling things out of our hat as to what this means to the child of God. The time being at hand, the time that is, that is spelled out, the occasion that's coming uh, in the book of Revelation, what does it mean to us? Number one, because the time is at hand, because the time is at hand, for the servants of Jesus Christ, just this quick reminder, who's the book of Revelation written to? The servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. So, for those who are servants of Christ, this is for us. What does it mean? Number one, because the time is at hand, we must watch faithfully. We must watch faithfully. Let me give you the verse. First Peter chapter 4, if you would. Let's turn there, please. First Peter chapter 4. The apostle Peter is giving instruction to a persecuted group of Christians. He's giving them some very practical instructions. He tells them in verse 7. This is our, this is our, our key text here. Um, but the end of all things is at hand. There's that phrase again. It's the exact same meaning as what is said in Revelation 1.3. The time is at hand. So Peter says, but the end of all things is at hand. 
What's the response of the child of God? Because the end of all things at hand, be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Let me remind us of this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, or 24 and 25. The Lord is using some similar language about our responsibility to Him and each other, knowing that the day of the Lord is approaching. Uh, you'll notice so many things that the Christians are exhorted. Here's the reason why. Christ is coming. I exhort you to live this way. Your Master is coming. Your Savior is returning. When you and I get our eyes off of the Savior's return, we're going to get carnal in a heartbeat. Because we're going to start thinking about things temporal instead of things eternal. And so Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, he says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that is promised, that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you ought. See the day approaching. You know the time is coming. It's approaching. So you have a responsibility. And the first thing we would say is, and, I, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself in Hebrews 10, but we must watch faithfully. First Peter 4, 7 says, The end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober. Young ladies, what does it mean to be sober? I think you had this in Sunday school Sunday. Not everybody wants now. What does it mean to be sober? We know it means not to be drunk, but that's not what the application you had on Sunday does it not mean to rule and govern your mind and emotions? Not to be governed by your emotions? You know what? You think about a man that's not sober. We talk about alcohol. He is under the influence of something else, is he not? He's under the influence of alcohol or drugs, and that takes over his body, and he's not thinking clearly. He's not temperate. He's not. The word sober carries the idea of temperate. How many people today are running hither and yon, not because it's what they've decided to do, but because some impulse has told them that's what they want to do, and they're just hither and yon. Rather than being sober-minded, we're told to be sober when it comes to our adversary, the devil. Uh, the Bible says, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, has a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. We need to understand the end of all things is at hand. So the time at hand means the end of all things. He explains this in great detail in 2 Peter chapter 3. The elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. All the things that we see are going to be dissolved. The physical things that we know are going to be destroyed. And so if that's what we know, and we know the end of all things is at hand, we need to have a clear mind. The Bible says, uh, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1, 7, we're to have a sound mind. What does this mean for the child of God then? to be sober and to watch. So the end of all things is at hand. The time is at hand. What's that mean to us? Be ye therefore, because the end of all things is at hand, be therefore sober and watch. Stay alert unto prayer. One of the most lacking aspects of the average professing Christian is the prayer life. You know what we often try to do? And you know as well as I, I am 100% for being in church. We need to be assembling together, encouraging one another, exhorting one another. But do you realize being in church does not replace a good prayer life? It cannot. They need to be coupled together. Uh, even reading your Bible doesn't replace your prayer life. Do you realize who's having to write this? Here's a man that was told, watch ye, Mark 14, 38. Watch ye and 
pray. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is. And guess who God used to author those words again? The man who slept when he should have been watching. Do you think he had a pretty good grasp? You don't know what's about to come, and you need to know, and if you would pray, it would prepare you for what's coming. If Peter had been praying when they showed up to arrest Jesus in the garden, do you think he would have responded a little differently? The Lord was trying to help him be ready for what Jesus had told his disciples and told his disciples and told his disciples. They're going to come and arrest me and the Son of Man must die and be buried. I need you to pray. You know what they did? What you and I often do. (laughs) Both literally and figuratively. A lot of sleeping Christians today. You know what is happening when we're asleep? We're not dead, but it looks like we are. When we're asleep, we have eyes, but we cannot see. We have ears, but we cannot hear. We have mouths, but they don't talk, and if they do, you can't understand what's said. You with me? A lot of sleeping Christians. So the idea of watching under prayer means you're going to watch. We have to be awake. We have to be spiritually awake. We're told over and over throughout the New Testament that we are to awake to righteousness. 1 Corinthians 15 says, and sin not. Awake to righteousness and sin not. We're told to, to, to be, and to be awake means to be alert and aware. And so because the time is at hand, it is not a time for us to be blind to spiritual things. It's not a time for us to not be able to discern our own spiritual state or the spiritual state of someone else or the spiritual state of our world. It's not a time for us to be caught off guard. We're told over and over, we have the light, we're of the day. We're to be sober, meaning we're to be alert and paying attention to what's going on around us. The coming of Jesus Christ should not surprise any child of God. We're supposed to be very awake. So the idea of watching means to be awake. Number two, it means to be attentive. To watch is not just to be awake, is it? You can be awake and distracted. To watch means I am, I am faithfully anticipating. I am, I am awake, I am attentive, and I am anticipating what's coming next. The child of God is not supposed to have weeks and months go by that the thought of the Lord's return hasn't even crossed his or her mind. May I say this? If you do, it is an indication of spiritual slumber. We are not supposed to have... It shouldn't, it shouldn't take a series on the return of Christ to church, though God can use that to awaken us, to remind us he's coming. Well, let me go to Titus chapter 2. We referenced that a few minutes ago. But let's go to Titus 2. I don't know of any text of Scripture that puts the Christian life in a nutshell better than Titus, excuse me, Titus 3. I meant to say Titus 3. Titus chapter 3. Excuse me, this is Titus 2. Titus 2.11. I didn't write this down. Titus 2.11 through 14. Again, I don't know of any text that, that puts the Christian life in a nutshell better than this. By the way, we just finished Jude. There are those who want to use the grace of God and turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Meaning, because God's gracious, you can do whatever you want. Follow your dreams, follow your whims, follow your wishes. That's what it means to be a Christian. You now get to live however you want and not worry about the judgment of God. That is not the grace of God and what it's for. The grace of God is not a license to sin. The grace of God gives liberty to stop it. That's the power of the grace of God. So Titus 2.11 says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live, here's that word again, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Doing what? Verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and of our Savior and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity 
and purifying himself of peculiar people, zealous of good works. I believe if you'll study your New Testament, you'll find that the return of Jesus Christ for us is one of the most referenced doctrines in your Bible. It is in every New Testament book, as far as I know, that he's coming again. He's coming again. Now, how prone are we to have entire seasons of our life where his return doesn't even cross our consciousness? Then we need to be awake, right? So the fact that the time is at hand is written. It's a blessing to us. You know why? Because it reminds us, because the time is at hand, we must watch faithfully. We're to be awake spiritually. We're to be attentive spiritually. Attentive to what? All things spiritual. We are to let the Word of God hone in our spiritual... I believe this. If you're saved, you should have good spiritual vision. You should be able to clearly see a distinction when God saved you, the new nature He put in you, new desires, the work He's doing, the direction that He is, is pointing in your life, the things He's correcting in your life, things that, uh, that He is perfecting in your life. You should be able to discern be- between good and evil, according to Hebrews 5, through the use of the Word of God, between right and wrong, so that you can prepare and with confidence anticipate His coming. And so, uh, because the day is at hand, we are to watch faithfully. This means we are to be awake Attentive and anticipating his coming. Who's the crown of, 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 of life for? The crown of righteousness that Paul mentions that he's going to get in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. That it's not unto me only, but unto them all them also that love his appearing. And you know, just think about this. Let's say, because this is the Bible analogy. You have a young bride. She is engaged to a young man. He says, okay, uh, you're from, you know, you're from the southeast and I'm from the northwest. I'm going to go over there to the northwest, and I'm going to build us a house. And I promise you, I'm going to give you this engagement ring. That's what the Lord gave us when he saved us. He gave me the, of us the engagement ring of the Holy Spirit of God. That's the earnest of our expectation. The presence of the Holy Spirit is our seal to say, you're mine until I come and get you, right? We have an engagement ring, if you would, uh, in our lives. So we have that. The bride is there. She's waiting, and she says, how long will you be? He says, well, I can't say but I promise I'm coming back and get you as soon as I get the house built. So I get the property secured, the house built, and ready for you. I'll come back. I just want you to know that it won't be long. You wait on me, and I'll come back and get you. You'll be ready any day. When I show up, I want you to be ready so I can take you right to our home and begin our life together. And you find that young lady. He's been gone for two weeks. And if you visited her home and you said, Well, how are you doing? She says, I'm doing good. What you been doing today? Oh, I was out uh, shopping with my friends. Oh, were you shopping for, for, for your wedding? She's like, oh, I forgot about that. Right. Yeah, I uh, know. I wasn't shopping for that, but I'm glad you reminded me. I can't wait till he comes. And you say, well, what else you been doing? She says, well, you know, like I say, spending time with friends and this and that. Have you, you, know, you bought a wedding dress? No, no, I don't know. He may be a while. And if every time you go over, you have to remind her, that her fiancé is going to come back and get her, wouldn't you think something was a little wrong there? Now, for a Christian that is not anticipating the day we get to see Christ, it's either because we're immature and have not learned to love him like he, he should be loved, but, or we're asleep spiritually, but we're not watching and being sober-minded like we should. One of the, I'm going to, I believe this with all my heart, and I believe it's one of my roles as a preacher and a pastor. We do not want the Lord to come and us go, ah. If you're saved, you're saved according to the Word of God. And the judgment seat of Christ is going to judge your works whether they're good or bad. But how many of us would want the Lord to come when we are living for accruing as many earthly things as we can? Let me just be busy and build the best life I can on this earth. And then he comes and we go, 
Souls? <laughs> Lord, I did not have time to try to win souls. I didn't have time. I was very busy building houses and buying cars and making friends and making people think I'm great. I just I did not have time. No. That's going to be a regretful day, won't it? But here's the wonderful thing. That doesn't have to be. I believe sometimes we've been... So, how many of you have ever heard a young person told something to the idea, well, you know, you're going to be young, you'll be young and stupid for a while, and they insinuate if you're young, you have to ruin your life for a while before you live for God. Now, that's a lie told to young people. That's not true. The Bible bears witness again and again. A young person can live for God if they live by faith. Even so, we are often led to believe, well, you'll have to have, you'll, everybody's going to have regret when they go to the judgment seat. False Paul said he wasn't. He wasn't being arrogant. He said, I'm ready. The time of my departure is at hand. Henceforth, there's laid out for me a crown of righteousness. He said, I am looking forward to see, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He said, to depart and be with Christ is far better. Do you hear the anticipation? He said, I can stay here and serve, but you know what? If I could leave here and be with him, that would be far better. Do you know why? Because everything that would hold him to earth, he had divorced himself from. He had divorced himself from his religious history. He had divorced himself from his education that made him a somebody. Not that he didn't use it for God, but Paul had nothing on earth to bind him here. He had lost it all that he might win Christ. And one of the reasons we have a hard time loving the Lord's appearing is because we love what we have appearing before us now. Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world. And so then to watch, we must be awake and attentive and anticipating his coming. So because the time is at hand, 1 Peter 4, 7 says, let us therefore watch, be sober and watch unto prayer. Watch unto prayer. I believe this, nothing, 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 nothing makes us more sensitive to the Lord and kindles love for him in our hearts like spending time with him in prayer. Nothing. There is no replacement for what the Bible refers to as prayer in your prayer closet. Time with you and the Lord for thanksgiving, for petition, for confession, for intercession. The Lord outlines to us how to pray. He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us to pray. And can I encourage you tonight, if you want to gauge to say, how well am I doing in preparing for his, ter- for his return? Just check on your prayer life. You, you don't measure the value of a prayer life by minutes necessarily. But if my prayer is... Eh, you know what, then we need more awakened. I believe this. Nothing makes me feel burdened for prayer more than looking at the times and saying, you know what, we got a little more serious in prayer. And so let us be sober and watch unto prayer. It is prayer that's going to prepare you for his coming. Number two, we must not only watch faithfully, we must walk faithfully in anticipation of his coming. Go to Romans chapter 13, and we may not be able to finish this tonight we'll see Romans chapter 13 there's a great push in our day to de-emphasize the importance of the Christian walk when I say walk what do I mean life the way we live our behavior our speech um, our deportment our conduct uh, how we work how we treat people how we pay our bills uh, what we watch what we listen to what we put on who we hang around how we behave, our, it's just our, our walk. How many of you know your walk does not justify you in the sight of God? The blood of Jesus Christ does. But you know what? If I'm justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, that must be reflected in my walk. 
Faith without works is dead being alone. And so Romans, reminding us of what time it is, says this is the effect it needs to have on you. Uh, It says in verse 10 of Romans 13, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And we're talking about Bible love, not, not some cultural definition. Verse 11, And that knowing the time, what's it say? And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us, here's that word again, therefore... Because the time is at hand, because the day is at hand, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let's let's try to make this practical tonight. What would be a work of darkness? If I had gone out last night and got drunk on whiskey and didn't come home till 2 this morning, do you think I'd walk into church tonight and advertise it's what I'd done? You tell me what I would do. I'd lie. I'd create darkness. Someone would say, Preacher, I thought I saw your car over here. No, no, there's another car in town that looks just like mine. And I'm going to create darkness. Works of darkness are works that we must conceal, that we must create a shroud around so that nobody knows. The Bible says, cast those off. Cast off the works of darkness. And it, it, absolutely, sin, works of darkness are works of sin, things that are disobedience and defilement. And so let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Uh, and let us put on the armor of light. You know what honesty will do for you? It'll put an armor around you. I've watched this. If you can get a child of God to get a hold of the truth, I must live a life that I'm not ashamed of God revealing at any moment. What I do in the closet is going to be shouted from the housetops. So live in the closet in a way you're not afraid to have it shouted from the housetops. We're to live honest, open lives that we're not ashamed of. The Bible says, cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Live in such a way where everybody can see in the daytime. Not in rioting. You know what rioting is? The party life. Do you know how many people today claim to be Christians and live riotous lives? They're they're running around living the nightlife. That's what we call it. You know why we call it the nightlife? Because nobody lived that way in the day. (laughs) God says, cast that off. Not in rioting and drunkenness not in chambering and wantonness. That's sexual immorality. There's no place for that in the child of God's life. No, we're not to live that way. Not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. This deals with social sins, that's strife and envying, sexual sins uh, and and sensual sins, if you would. It deals with the whole thing, just like Galatians 5.22 does when it deals with the works of the flesh. God says, put that off, verse 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. He's given all this practical instruction about putting off works of darkness, putting on the armor of light. But what is the hinge point? Because the day is at hand. He's, he's at the door. He's coming. You live in such a way that if he showed up right now, you have nothing to be ashamed of. Look if you would at 1 John chapter 2 into 1 John 3. The end of 1 John 2 into the beginning of 1 John chapter 3. Verse 28 of 1 John 2 says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Verse 1 of chapter 3, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, 
that we should be called the sons of God, therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse 3, And every man that hath this hope in him does what? Purifieth himself, even as he is pure. You know what casting off the works of darkness and putting on the armor of light is? It's purifying. I'm getting the, the old man off, just like Ephesians 4 says, just like Colossians 3 does, putting off the old man, putting on the new. Why? Because my Savior's coming for me. And I do not want to be ashamed before him at his coming. I don't want him to find me not living up to the honor and the privilege he called me to live to when he saved me. And so we must watch faithfully. We must walk faithfully. A faithful walk is a walk that's conducted in an honest fashion, in a holy fashion, and in a harmless fashion. Let me give you very quickly Second Peter chapter 3. We read earlier some verses in the beginning of that. We looked at some of these recently in Sunday school. Second Peter chapter 3. It uses the same way of thinking here. And all this is necessary because we go through the book of Revelation. What we're getting at the onset is why is all this information important to me? Because the day is at hand. Everything that we're reading about is about to take place. In Revelation 4, you're going to hear Trump says, come up hither. That is what we read about in 1 Thessalonians 4. And then you hear about the tribulation period coming. You know what? How is a lost world going to come under the reproof of their sin and repent and put their faith in Christ? They can see, look, they can hear from us and still reject it. But there's many people who are not even given the opportunity to reject the gospel because they're not hearing it. If they are, it just is bouncing off of them because they're hearing it from somebody that's living just like they are. We are often not having a, a faithful opportunity to give the gospel because we're not watching and we're not walking as we should. But what we're about to read about in the book of Revelation ought to motivate us to say, that's coming down the pike. I need to make sure, number one, for my relationship with the Lord that I'm living right and for my relationship with a lost and dying world that's going through that if they don't let Christ save them, I'll live right. We'll get to that in just a moment. I'm getting, again, a little ahead of myself. Second Peter 3, uh, verse 11 He's just said in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. We know that's coming on the world. Nevertheless, we, believers in Christ, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Do you see a theme here tonight? The time is at hand. Watch and be sober. The time is at hand. Walk faithfully in an honest fashion, in a holy fashion. Verses 17 and 18 Deal with the same things. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the ear of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So we are to walk faithfully in honesty and holiness and in a harmless fashion. Philippians chapter 2, very quickly, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. The Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Verse 15. Why? That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights 
in the world. Verse 16, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. That brings us into our next point. If we uh, know that the time is at hand, we should watch faithfully, walk faithfully, and witness faithfully. And by that I mean be a testimony to the saving grace of God by our watching and by our walking. We just read it here. We shine as lights in a dark world, do we not? Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine to yourself so that you don't offend anybody. No, no, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify who? Your Father which is in heaven. Good works always glorify him, not us. Any good work that brings glory to me is not a good work. Good works glorify him. You know what good works do? They say this is impossible except for God. How many of you know what you would be if God had not saved you? So if I've got a clean mouth and I have a pure heart and I have a pure life, that's a miracle. It's a miracle for any one of us to be living a truly holy life. That brings glory to God because no man can make himself pure and clean. It takes the blood of Jesus Christ to do that. It takes the regenerating work of God to do that. It takes his sanctifying work to do that. But we are to be a faithful witness before a lost world. Look what Philippians 4, 5 says. So we're really getting into the reason. Why do we watch faithfully and why do we uh, walk faithfully? Obviously for the glory of God, number one. But for a faithful witness before the dark world we're living in. Philippians 4, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Think of that in contrast to the words we just read. Let, let, uh, uh, do all things without murmurings and disputings. And then in verse 4 of Philippians 4 tells us rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. You know what moderation is? It's sobriety in action. Moderation is my denial of self in order to serve the Lord. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Meaning, don't hide your devotion to Christ in the corner. Live your faith for Christ out in public. I will not participate in that. Not because I'm angry at somebody, but because I love Christ. I've used this illustration before some years ago. Uh, when I was working a job, I had some guys really giving me a hard time. They were on a crew that I was supervising, lawn care. And so they're talking about their weekend life and yada, yada. And they said, you probably don't do that, do you? I said, no, I don't. They want to get in a discussion about whether or not it's right to drink beer. And they said, so why don't you drink beer? And I'm starting to, I'm thinking along the verses. I could give them this verse and this verse and this verse. And I felt like the Lord said, let's just get right to the heart of it. And I said, I'm tell you why. I read my Bible and I get the idea and the perception from what my Bible says that Jesus Christ would not be pleased for me to do that. And therefore, he died for me and he saved me and I don't want to do anything that displeases him. And man, that conversation went just like that. Some of the guys in the truck, they knew, they knew what the Bible said. And they would love to have had a biblical debate. But here's what it boils down to. We must do what we do for him for his sake, for his name. And so the Bible says, let your moderation be known unto all men. When, when you're out in public, don't quietly pray so nobody sees you. Now, don't stand up and thump your chest and blow a trumpet and say we're about to pray. That's Phariseeism. But don't hide your love for the Lord. Let your life so shine. Be holy, be pure, be clean. Uh, how many know this? When you live a life that's devoted to Christ, do you have to tell anybody you're doing that? Not in this world, I promise you, it shines like a light. And so our devotion must be demonstrated. So let your moderation be known to all men. Why? The Lord is at hand. How are they going to get the light of the gospel if it's not by us? So because he's coming, we're to watch faithfully, we're to walk faithfully, 
and out of that we are to be a faithful witness. Fourthly, the phrase at hand is not used here, but the concept certainly is John chapter 9. We must work faithfully. John chapter 9. What did Jesus say when he, when he gave us... This is, and I want you to think about this. We talked earlier about prayer and how is our prayer life. I want you to think, when was the last time you asked the Lord Jesus Christ to send forth labors into his harvest field? It is one prayer request we were commanded to bring before him. I believe praying for labor should be a daily request for the child of God. Here's why. It's one thing, not that he doesn't want us praying other things, but he said what's needed. I guarantee you, every missionary that I know that's trying to preach the word of God in another place, their number one need, number one, we need labors. It's true in Canada. It's true in Mexico. It's true in China. It's true in Indonesia. Do you know what Brother Turk is asking prayer for constantly? Oh, God, send missionaries to Indonesia. Send laborers. Why are we not working more for the furtherance of the gospel? Why do we not give more sweat and prayer and effort to... Look, that work doesn't save us. We know that the work of Christ saves us. But if we're saved by his work, should we not work for his honor? He said, pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth loafers into his harvest. No, laborers into his harvest. Our Lord Jesus Christ, I am convinced, is the hardest working man that ever put foot on planet earth. Amen? John chapter 9, verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So on and so forth. Now you know he told us we are the light of the world. So which is it, he or we? And the answer is yes. He is the light in us shining through us. And so the fact of the matter is, as long as we're representing him in this world, there's a light. We just read in Philippians chapter 2. We're as light shining in a dark and perverse world. You know what that means? We're to work. We have a limited opportunity. That's what Jesus was saying. How many of us know what he meant? His night was coming when he would be crucified. He was speaking practically. I've got a limited amount of time to do the work my father sent me to do, and I'm going to do it while I can. But he was also speaking prophetically. I'm going to return and the night's going to come on this world and the time for working and gathering harvest is going to be over. Now we are. You know your Bible. And if you believe your Bible, we are living what the Bible calls the dispensation of the grace of God. I don't really care if you have a view of dispensations that's this or that. But the truth is we are living now in what the Bible refers to and Paul referred to as the dispensation of the grace of God. God being willing to pardon men for their sins through faith in his son Jesus Christ Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if that is our opportunity, then do we not have an obligation? Galatians 6.10 says, As ye therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially to them of the household of faith. How many of us agree it is good to tell a lost man how he can be reconciled to God? Now, I just tricked us. Therefore, to him that knoweth do good and doeth it not, him to sin, James 4.17. If I know it's good to be working in giving the gospel, how about working in prayer? We talked about that. How many of us know prayer is work? And so what Jesus said is, and this moment he's giving light to a blind man, is he not? Then how many of us have the light? I believe this. And one of the reasons we have so much schism, and I don't believe it's our job to just try to make schism go away, but one of the reasons we have so much schism is we have abused the knowledge we've been given. 
God did not give us Bible knowledge so that we can be puffed up with pride. He gave us Bible knowledge to go and give to people who don't have it. And what will happen is when we keep it ourselves like a sponge that gets corrupt, we keep it all in instead of divvying it out. Nothing, nothing will put your theological feet to the fire like witnessing to somebody that's not a believer in Jesus Christ. Amen? So let us work. Why? For the, the night is coming when no man can work. So when the Lord says in Revelation 1, 3, Blessed is he that readeth and heareth and keepeth the things of this book, for the time is at hand. This references us back to all these other instructions. We are to watch and be sober and watch into prayer for the, the end of all things is at hand. We are to walk faithfully, casting off the works of darkness and putting on the armor of light because the day is at hand. We are to witness faithfully for the Lord is at hand. We're to walk faithfully and work faithfully because of all these things. The time is at hand. And as we go through the book, we should remember that. You know what's sad? As you go through the seven churches, the closer you get to the seventh, the less they are living in appreciation of his presence. Isn't that sad? Now, I believe this. We don't have to be that. We are not duty-bound to be a Laodicean church. We have, we have the opportunity to be the right kind. We can be a Philadelphia church if we will live by faith. But we, we will not be if we're not anticipating his coming. So don't know how the Lord may have spoken to you tonight. He's spoken to me. Amen. And uh, let's live in the light of his return. Mm-hmm.